Hello and welcome to this special joint episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast and the Skeptic's okay. Testament. Tyler was gracious enough to give me the honor of hosting the show, and those who have um, listened to our podcasts, either of our podcasts before, would be familiar with myself, Nicholas Joseph Brazizi, and Tyler's work. In a moment, I'll introduce a new face, but just briefly, Tyler is a Christian apologist, philosopher, and graduate from Moody Bible Institute, currently working on his master's at Reformed Theological Seminary. He is also the author of a very hard-hitting book critique, one that I like, um, of David McCarthy's Disproving Christianity. It's a, a book review that I'm always keen to have people read, despite their beliefs or disbeliefs. Um... Those who know me know that I'm a scientist currently doing my PhD in bio-nanotech and uh, as well as a Master's of Divinity at, at the Melbourne College of Divinity. So um, so last, but almost certainly, as if there are any certainties in life, we have a new fellow joining us, and this is Brandon Christen. Brandon is a history and anthropology graduate who uh, has gone on to uh, discover and fall in love, his words, as we all have at this point, with philosophy. And uh, and so I can uh, welcome you both, and thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Good to be here. Thank you. This is going to be a, a five-part series where the three of us will, will focus heavily on, um, after, of course, some um, preliminary introductions, we'll focus heavily on uh, philosophy connected with uh, especially reality, existence, morality, and even the mind. And uh, the problems that we're all faced with when confronting these larger questions of life. So before I confirm my status as a bit of a windbag, let's uh, hear some introductory comments from uh, one of my co-hosts. Tyler, would you like the honors of going first? Sure. Do you want to confirm that the, the other two of us are windbags as well? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you up on that challenge. Uh, <laughs> it, it will be met. Um, sure. So, um, like you said, my name's uh, Tyler. Um, I initially went to Sonoma State University in Northern California. It's one of the state um, universities here in California where I studied uh, philosophy and English. I was a double major in both of those, um, which is really where I got my my interest and my my uh, love for for philosophy and for writing and talking and thinking about uh, everything having to do with philosophy um, and theology um, as uh, during that process is when I became a, uh, a deist and then a theist and then um, and then a Christian ultimately um, and then after so at that point you were yep. you had no beliefs or you had a atheist belief yes so I was not raised um, anything like a Christian or a, a theist. Um, I, I grew up as a, basically a skeptic and an atheist. Um, and actually, before I went to college, I was somewhat of a of what you know. Now that the new atheism has come out, uh, would be known as as probably something like um, uh, an anti-theist or um, sadly uh, held to something along the lines of scientism. Um, but through basically through my study of philosophy, I started to um, just see some some shortcomings and philosophical naturalism and my own materialism, um, things that I couldn't, couldn't quite account for, um, that I'm sure we'll, we'll get into, especially, um, around, uh, moral facts, which is mostly what we're going to be talking about over these next couple episodes. Um, and it was actually through that, that I became, I, I kind of went down that slippery slope from just general deism, um, to theism and then ultimately to Christianity. If I could interject with a quick question, uh, 
whenever you say you went from deism to theism and then Christianity, uh, I'm just curious what the theist stopover point was for you. Um, Because I know that deism is separate from a specific theism. So did you have a specific theism during that theist time period? Or was it just a somewhat more defined view of the sort of God of deism? It was just a somewhat more defined view. Um, it was kind of more along the lines of like a philosophical theism. Um, I when when I was a de- when I was a deist, it was much more of the you know, the classical sense. You know, God kind of winded wound up the clock and and let it loose. Um, but as I became more of a theist, I saw much more of an interventionist um, reality. Not necessarily in you know coming to earth to die for our sins or in answering prayers or anything along those lines. Um, but, but, um, once I started, um, going into things like abiogenesis and specified complexity, um, uh, certain facts about, um, history, things like that, I started to, to become much more of a, of a, a theist, um, who believed that God was still active, not, not in the, in the distant past. Um, and then from there it was a hop, skip and jump over to Christian theism. To say from there, um, I went to, to Moody Bible where I, um, Got my degree. It was technically a pre-seminary degree, which basically means that I studied, um, I did biblical studies, historical theology, and original languages. It was uh, basically classes um, that were pre-seminary focused. Right. And uh, after that, you then joined a different seminary. I did. So um, after that, well, I I stopped school for a couple years while my wife my wife was getting her master's in marriage and family therapy. So. Uh, that was fun getting psychoanalyzed for about uh, about two years, and Uh-oh. then um, I re-enrolled um, through Reform Theological Seminary um, for a master's in religion, um, which right now I've I finished um, uh, a class, and I'm currently super busy at work, so I, I haven't enrolled in another one yet, um, but I'm but I'm well on my way. So sounds yeah. great. Just briefly, I wanted to know then what. Um, what are some of the major differences between your previous uh, study at um, and previous, I guess, uh, confirmations that they have you hold at Moody Bible Institute compared to the reformist pr- tradition? Right. So I am a reformed Christian, um, which basically right. means that I um, I trace my theology back to the Protestant Reformation. Um, and not just in a broad Protestant sense, but actually in the creeds and the, the catechisms um, of that Reformation tradition. Um, and so basically the one of the major differences between, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say it briefly because it goes into a, a lot of different topics, yeah. um, is the, to me, Reformed tradition can basically be seen as the rejection of what's called Pelagianism, which is, um, um, a system of workspace salvation, a system um, that basically is a synergistic. It says that salvation is through um, man's effort and God's effort, um, which is why the reformers really um, did protest against Rome. Um, and one of the one of the reasons why Reformation theology has kind of it started having a a heyday again is basically because broader evangelicalism has actually whether they know it or not, has become more like Rome, the Council of Trent, than even Rome is now. So um, it's um, the Reformed tradition has kind of started to continue to um, keep that protest up and going, um, even if it means protesting against Protestants. So that's kind of where that goes. Right, that makes sense. 
I would love to be able to talk to you about that at some point in time. And uh, my own experiences in the Church of Christ, I've, I, now that you've given me a term for it, was very Pelagian, and I'd love to talk about that further at some point. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a, a whole different episode I could have you on uh, one of our shows. So, Tyler, why does this topic interest you? Um, I've always been interested in philosophy. Um, obviously, that was one of my fields of study. Um, I, it's kind of a, a almost a hobby of mine. It's something I do um, even on my spare time, um, even though my wife doesn't understand why I find it so fun. Um, but also, I, I think it's really it's actually really important to the the way we live. I think that um, the way we view um, morality and our, our moral obligations does have real world consequences. So um, I think there was um, a quote by Jay, I'm going to butcher his last name because it's one of those ones with like 12 consonants in a row, uh, Jay Budzeskevsky. Um, he is a um, philosopher of what's called um, uh, natural law. And he basically set, was a, as a, a nihilist and um, an atheist for a long time. And he basically said, you know, his view on if he thought, you know, his, his wife uh, or if his love for his wife was just a social convention and um, wasn't actually a real moral obligation, what does that do to his ability um, to love her well? So um, I do think that the way we view morality um, ultimately does drive um, the way we act about certain things, unless we're comfortable with a certain amount of cognitive dissonance where our actions really just have <laughs> no bearing on what we profess we believe. So I, I think it is really important. Yes, I, I agree with that too. Um, so let us uh, finish your introduction with uh, a fun fact about yourself. A fun fact. Um, I have a strong detest for ketchup. <laughs> um, the, it's the, the, everything from the smell to the taste. Uh, when my wife and I are, are you know, if, we, if we're driving somewhere and we have to get fast food and she gets french fries... Um, we actually have to have the windows rolled down because the smell will actually make me nauseous a little bit. So, um, yeah, I don't know what it is about ketchup. It just it just gets to me. A lot of people love it, but <laughs> just not a just not a fan. Not a fan at all. Fascinating. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. Okay, so thank you for that, Tyler. Perhaps we can uh, move on to Brandon Kristen. I'm pronouncing your surname right. Is that right? Uh, actually, ironically. Uh, it's Brandon Christian. My uh, uh-huh. my so dad you are a is. <laughs> <laughs> my dad is from the South, specifically Louisiana, and down okay, there okay. they spell it Christian, but they pronounce it Christian. So we kept the Cajun pronunciation. Fair enough. I apologize for that off the top of the show. No worries. It's been happening my whole life. I j- I roll with the punches these days and have said my name is Brandon <laughs> Christian too. So. Oh my goodness, that could be confusing. <laughs> so we, we definitely have Brandon Christian with us. Indeed, you do. All right. So how about a brief bio and uh, some upbringing? Sure. Uh, Well, my background is that I grew up in rural Missouri. Um, When I was in high school, I dabbled in theater, speech, and debate. I love speech and debate, though I only did it for a year. I was mostly a homebody, but I had a very, very active imagination. Um I was always playing imaginary games, et cetera, et cetera. I always, in addition to that, loved learning. Uh, My imagination was always uh, fueled by what I learned and vice versa. I loved history and science in particular. Religiously speaking, which I feel is pertinent or will be pertinent before too long in this series of conversations, uh, my background was first in non-denominational Christianity. We just went to a church calling itself the Christian Church or the non-denominational Christian Church. 
I don't remember very many of the theological teachings. I was much too uh, young for a lot of them, but I always wanted, I mean, ironically, I didn't pay that much attention at church, but I always wanted more. I wanted more religion. I wanted more real, real spirituality in my life. I vividly remember being uh, five years old and, and pondering things like uh, predestination, although I didn't have a name for it at the time. I wondered, you know, does God love me? Did he make me to love me? And then I read Revelations before I un, pardon me. Re- Revelation. I was getting ready to say. I was getting ready to say. I said pardon. Me. <laughs> Revelation. Bad habit. Thank you. Uh, I read Revelation um, before I was old enough to understand what metaphors were, and I spent a very long time. I'm again very young kid, but a long time worried. What if God made me to be the Antichrist? How awful will that be? And so I, I cared about these things when I was a child in my own childish and admittedly fumbling and incompetent way. But even then, I wanted to be a preacher. And then when I was a senior in high school, uh, I joined the Church of Christ. I was extremely pleased with them at first. They kind of fit with my really hardcore wanting to believe in the Bible uh, ideas. I was extremely passionate and devout. I trained on being a preacher, I gave sermons, I went to preacher training camp, I evangelized, and I worked for a short while as an actual paid official preacher. Um, Obviously, that didn't last because I'm an atheist, uh, which happened really March 2010 is when I started to really waver. I remember laying in bed in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, trying to cry silently because I had a roommate there with me that night. We were on a debate tournament tour of the UK. Um, I wept, begging God to please help me keep believing, please help me get my faith back. But I lost it. Um, Then I went and I worked for the summer as a preacher. I did get it back. I I wasn't just lying to everybody. I I really clung to the whole faith as just an insistence or, or a volitional sort of, I will believe X because I will to do so sort of thing. So I had my right. faith back for a little while, um, but ultimately uh, I went back to school in August, and by September I was an atheist, and I've never looked back. For a while I drifted in meaningless atheist existentialism. Um, I thought the purpose of life was to breed and pass on one's genes. Thank you, Richard Dawkins. Uh, <laughs> my goals at the time were get buff, have sex, make money, and be comfortable. Um, I accomplished. And which one of those did you do? Uh, none. I accomplished precisely <laughs> none <laughs> at that point in time. Um, by December, though, so this was September. It lasted October, November. By December, being a thoughtful person by nature, I had burnt myself out on on that kind of absolutely nothing to do except strive for money, sex, status, and uh, comfort. And I began to dabble in more real philosophy. Something really uh, brought the philosophy bug to me. It might have been my my roommate at the time. He was an existential philosopher, brilliant mind, and he talked to me a lot. Uh, I don't remember specifically what I started reading, but I began to yearn after deeper knowledge, wisdom really, not just knowledge of the vulgar or the mundane, but I wanted wisdom. And so... For a long time, about seven or eight months, I focused just on atheistic philosophy. You know, ba- ba- now as a postmodern perspectivist, I look back and I see it as little more than uh, saber rattling. But it was all the books by Dawkins and Harris, 
why we atheists are right and we're so smart and we have the truth, just not in one book. It's in lots of books by more right. Barnes and Noble. Um, but then I got bored with the God debate and I started looking at existentialism. I became interested in epistemology and then cognitive questions of the nature or existence of the mind. And ultimately, this drew me into uh, communications and ethics. And these days I'm studying communications theory only because my college does not have a communications philosophy department or a philosophy master's department to speak of. Um, and nowadays my chief concerns are questions like what are ethics and what are applied ethics subsequent to that and how do or how should we go about applying them if indeed we can find a should. What is the nature of human being? How is it situated in communication? And what does communication mean for the human experience? And how can communications be done with an eye and a uh, a link to ethics? So that's that's what I'm all about these days. Fantastic. So in um, in uh, full disclosure, your general religious worldview perspectives is at the moment. At the moment, I am an atheist. It's easiest to classify me as a metaphysical naturalist, although I'll state, right. I'll state right now I'm not a scientist or a science. I'm, I'm not a science worshiper. I'll put it that way. Right. Although, a a, a scientismist. Scientismist. Yes, we'll go with we'll go with that. That's a really nice, horrible sounding word for a horrible uh, epistemic position. Um, but no, I'm I'm not a worshiper of the scientific method. I see it as just as fallible and just as um, down to earth as the very uh, upright naked apes that produced it. Well, it was. I, 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 I think it was uh, Massimo Pigliucci that said uh, that scientism is an insult, not a philosophical position, and that uh, it's perhaps best shown by the fact that there is no noun associated with it. So, uh, <laughs> if one is engaging in scientism, one is being scientistic, not being a scientist. Yes, so. I would agree with that. I would agree. Um, yes, I, I, really I had like a question um, going back to where you you made the transition from your childhood church to the church of christ yes um because you had said you were looking for more theology more religion um, yes. i'm wondering um so in uh, i'll just preface this in my experience that i've found that not just broader evangelicalism but the church of christ specifically is is very um emotionally driven experience driven did you did you find that or did you actually find because um, you said you did find some of what you were looking for. Did you find it um, philosophically challenging? <sighs> no. I found what I was looking for, but I would say now I was looking for the wrong thing. Um, I was always of the opinion when I was going to the non-denominational church, if this is the word of God, then we should be incredibly passionately extreme about it. And the non-denominational church took much more of a, hey, you know, yeah, there's a heaven, there's a hell be good sort of approach. And then the Church of Christ, as I'm sure you're aware, has such a hard line, fire and brimstone awaiteth if you don't repent, mm -hmm. uh, such an obsession with the word, which is funny because they do an absolutely terrible job understanding translations or or things like that, but they've got such a word-for-word -word emphasis on the Bible that in my naivete, I mistook that for deep theology. And so mm -hmm. I thought I had mm -hmm. found what I was looking for. And in truth, looking back, I was looking for um, zeal. I wanted for some reason mm -hmm. or another to be a zealot. And I found that in the church. 
but I wouldn't say I found wisdom or any challenging philosophy. Interesting. So, Brandon, how about you tell us why this interests you? Um, this being a well, this being an act of communication amongst three people, even even antecedent to the topic of ethics, interests me because now we're blending lots of different culture and subculture together under the auspices of the broader English language. And whatever comes out of this blending is going to be a very interesting mix, and I'm I'm quite eager to see what happens as a result of it. But the more specific topic at hand which I'm sure you actually meant. I'm just trying to score windbag points and beat Tyler. <laughs> I'm sure you actually meant why I'm interested in ethics. And um, to me, regardless of the ultimate ontological status of morals and ethics, I'm going to lump those two things together for right now, and, and I'm just going to say morality. Regardless of the ultimate ontological nature, whether it's objective, subjective, knowable, not knowable, etc., there's no denying from centuries and centuries and centuries of obsessing over these issues and writing about them and thinking about them and going to war over them and refraining from war over them that these questions, whatever they may be asked about, are a central part of the human experience. And part of what I believe it is to be a philosopher is to have the wherewithal and the willingness to plumb the existential depths of the human experience and confront all these major things on unfamiliar grounds. So for Indeed. me, the ethical question, it is one that is intrinsically important to me, and I see it as being practically, obviously important to humans at large. I want to know where do I stand on one of the most talked about and the most fought over subjects in all of human history, morality, and I want to try to better help understand um, where others stand on this issue as well. So for me, it's just central to the human uh, experience. Agree. Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, so then maybe a, a fun fact about yourself. Uh, there is nothing fun about um, – <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's see. A fun fact. Um <sighs> I am a hopeless romantic. Oh. I am. I flowers, the lovely dovey talk, the whole nine yards. I am a dyed in the wool um what's the what's the term? Emotional uh, uh romantic person. Well, congratulations. We're a dying breed. <laughs> <laughs> we are. That that, rem that reminds me of the song the I'm a hopeless romantic and you're just hopeless. <laughs> uh, okay well thank you for that so um now it's come time to just quickly introduce myself um and uh some answer some of the questions that i posed to these two gentlemen so my name is nicholas joseph brazisi my friends will call me one of three things joseph nicholas or nj uh i let them pick i don't really care the um but no nick right no nick no Nick, no, <laughs> no Nick. There's a there's a a a, a, a brief upbringing and, and a brief bio about me. So I, I was raised a Roman Catholic, um, and uh, through the ages of about five, from when I could walk to church with my grandmother, till about the age of twelve, I would do that practically every Wednesday. So it wasn't until the age of around fifteen that my my mother began studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um. 
I was eventually baptized with them uh, by the age of 20. Uh, and I'm fine with admitting that that was rather a, a naive and misguided move. So I guess it had something to do with the fact that around this age, this is where people begin to develop their worldview. This is where they begin to, to take stances on things that uh, all the things that we're about to be discussing. So um, so I, I also don't have any problem admitting that I based on Jehovah's Witness theology, my growth was probably stunted in this respect. So I guess, um, and that would, you know, likely have an effect on what I was going to believe for the rest of my life, though for everybody it's to a different degree. I did not find the JWs theologically or intellectually satisfying. Um, I There is a lot uh, behind why I eventually got baptized, but... Um, but uh, there was also a, a long period before I got baptized that I struggled with a lot of what they, they were asking me to believe. Um, and eventually that took its toll. So even though I had followed through with baptism, um, I have now been properly disfellowshipped and uh, excommunicated, which uh, I'm perfectly fine with. Um, but uh, it was much to the dismay of my church leaders at the time that I decided to seek a a more intellectually satisfying and uh, stimulating uh, avenue of, of study. And so I entered a private seminary, a theological seminary. So from there, I uh, eventually became um, an atheist, although I've come to realize that that position, I feel, is a little... Uh, too indefensible, so I had moved from that point onto agnosticism, but um, I am still developing my worldview and my philosophical positions. Um, and as Tyler is all too aware of from our many private conversations, so um, just a bit about my ed educational background: I, I began when I left high school uh, studying medicine, and uh, I didn't quite. I guess, enjoy that as much as I thought I was going to. So from there, I moved into a purely chemistry and mathematics degree. So um, from there, I ended up doing my honors in chemistry. And uh, I began a, a PhD um, in bio-nanotech, of which I'm almost uh, two-thirds of the way through. So uh, at the same time, and this was when I had entered uh, my chemistry degree, I uh, that's when I began... Um, at at the uh, private uh, theological seminary. So at that point there, I, I was also beginning to see the world from a more evidentiary point of view where um, evidence played a big role in what the the professors were, you know, uh, it wanted to, to lecture us on, right? So they would never, especially in mathematics, rock up and say, this is an axiom, accept it because I say so, right? They would always prove the equation using the the logical steps necessary to prove it. So it was at that point there that I realized that there is something more to the world that I'm missing that uh, requires me to to get into before I can uh, begin to to develop some proper perspectives about the world. Um, so eventually I, I left seminary. 
um, to to finish my honors thesis. And uh, instead of continuing continuing with my seminary degree, I entered uh, a Melbourne College of Divinity to study a, a Masters of Divinity and uh, took the credits over and applied them to that. So um, that still includes all of the 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 historical context, the uh, um, exegetical, hermeneutical um, responses that that we all have to learn, as well as the languages, biblical languages. Um, And uh, it also requires now a little bit more of an understanding in philosophy. See, my my seminary degree was was highly focused on ministry, which uh, I guess is, is what I really like about the degree that I'm currently in, because I can choose either between a more purely preaching approach or a more historical and uh, philosophical approach, which is what I'm currently doing. So with that in mind, I uh, probably have a lot more to learn from you two than you do of me, as I haven't even finished my first semester of, of a proper introduction to philosophy. So <laughs> um, it's it's just interesting to note that uh, in, in full disclosure, my my general worldview is still up in the air. I'm not a metaphysical naturalist like Brandon said he is. I, I never have been. Um, even when I was hardcore atheist, I have always felt uncomfortable saying there exists no supernatural. Um, and and that's always been a really uncomfortable position for me just because I think uh, that it's indefensible. I, I believe that there are, are no physical or supernatural af- absolutes, right? That there may be existential absolutes or, or things like um, logic, which I believe uh, exists independently of us thinking of them, right? I think it was Roger Penrose who said that uh, in, was it The Emperor's New Mind, that, that we didn't invent mathematics, right? And by extension, logic, we just discovered it. So uh, we ought to weigh what we believe to be true with a degree of probability. Um, of course, these thinking is not believing right uh, you can think all of all you like but it's not the same as believing that something is true or, or false so at the moment I much more resemble uh, a methodolo- a methodological naturalist and um, as I said before I have uh, a, a lot to learn from you two so I I'm, I think I'm going to enjoy this probably more than than most any questions so far by the way feel free to interrupt um I was going to ask uh right now with where you're at what 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 areas of philosophy really interest you the most where do you see yourself really wanting to grow and expand and plot just out of curiosity there are actually two and and they they may not be so um connected on the face of it but it's actually uh moral philosophy and also um the philosophy of mind i think that those two areas uh actually have a lot of overlap or or can say a lot about each other eventually i mean the philosophy of mind currently is becoming uh, i guess a lot more scientific in its in its approach in that you know we're able to start to delve deeper into the physical brain and and how it works and (laughs) and these cognitive faculties so um i really enjoy i I, you know i don't know right i don't know if, if philosophy of mind will always be philosophy or if it will eventually uh, I think become science, right? It, it'll become purely a empirical approach to how we understand, how we think, how we we derive these. Uh, you know how our 
cognition is able to derive beliefs and and morality and stuff like that so i think that those currently are the two areas that interest me the most okay yeah so so just uh why these topics are interesting to me well I, I guess Brandon touched on a lot that I that I agreed with. How how could it not, right? I want to also know where I stand on these these large questions. I said in in my introduction that we're going to be discussing the philosophy connected with reality, existence, morality, and mind. Right? The uh, the problems that we're all faced with um, when confronting these these larger questions of life, and I think that. I hope I have the cognitive faculties to process all this. And if I do, then I think I'd be nuts not to take advantage of that and, and you know, try to address <laughs> these these big questions. So, yeah, I, I think that what Brandon said really resonated with me. I really want to know where I stand um, on these questions, which is, is something that uh, is new to me considering my, my educational background. I hadn't really ever had time to go into it. So, so yeah, so... Uh, and finally, just a, a fun fact about myself. As a, as a scientist and, and up-and-coming biblical scholar, I spend most of my days walking around confused about the world. So that's a <laughs> pretty fun fact. <laughs> oh, I do too. Yes. yes. So um, I guess if, if we're, we're all fine with those introductions, then if Tyler's fine with that, then I guess we can move on to our defining of terms. Yeah, we we can probably start by by I I guess I want to ask Tyler what uh, what term would you like to start with defining probably moral ontology. Um, yeah, I think I I think I'd like to go down the list actually as they are. Um, okay. I tried to set it up in kind of a descending order. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I think um, I mean in any one of these discussions on definitions, our our perspectives are going to kind of seep through a little bit. Um, yes, of course. But I think all of that background that we that we have is definitely going to go into the following episodes where we either present those explicitly um, or where we are um, um, using our positions to basically uh, object or um, rejoin our other positions. So can I, I guess, can I, um, can I uh, just quickly give my, my very uh, undergraduate uh a rudimentary idea of what moral ontology is sure so i i guess if if ontology is the study of being right so what does it mean for something to be or exist then i guess moral ontology is going to be from what i understand um what does it mean for morals to exist or to be um that yeah um, that's along the right track, I think. Uh, okay. I would say uh, that it's an attempt to discern the way of being of morals, but I think that that's an, that in and of itself is an umbrella term because uh, on my point of view, there are at least three different ways for morality to be, two right, two, one, one wrong. Um, but I would be willing to agree... To just the broad, I mean, we'd refine it later, but I'm willing to agree to just the broad understanding of moral ontology as uh, the the way of being of morality itself, or morality as a class. Yeah. So basically, um, it's kind of like that the the Bill Clinton quote that it all matters what is is. Yeah. Um, it's uh, so it's 
without without picking a certain position, moral ontology is basically just what morality is. Um, yes. Whether whether it is objective, subjective, what what's um, what it actually is in and of itself is essence. Whether or not it, um, we'll get into this in the next one. Whether or not we can know what it is, or perceive what it is, or um, know rightly what it is, or or any of those types of things. It's just what morality is in and of itself would be moral ontology, completely independent of um, any belief about it. Yes. Okay. I, yes, I think we we agree on that. Do we do we want to define then what morality is before we move on to moral epistemology, or is that actually that I, probably comes up with uh, yeah. moral value? Yeah, so. <laughs> I think that's well. I think I think that oh, I was defi- reading ahead. I think oh, that was look, defining oh, more. Oh, look over there, uh, a bear trap. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and I think defining what we think morality is is going to be the role of the next episodes where we're actually saying because I I, I think yes. from our conversations we actually have different views on what morality is. Okay. Um, so what what you know what we fill that category with I think the three of us are going to have different answers to. Sure. Um, yep, but that we're just good to me. Th- that that concept of well what is morality um, in and of itself. Um, yep. The next one then moving on would be moral epistemology. So you guys want to take a take a stab at that one? Well, well if you don't mind, I, I wouldn't mind having another crack at this since it's sure. going to be incredibly rudimentary, and you guys can build on that for me. So. Um, I think that it's it's trying to ask the question of uh, moral knowledge and its possibilities. So it's uh, one of that's one of the central questions in moral epistemology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that how do we know moral knowledge? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would only yeah. add to that. Um... I'm on fire. <laughs> look, <laughs> You're on a look roll. At you, look at you go! Look at you go! <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> Your your first class professor would be so proud. He might be. <laughs> um, I, I would I would just add to that though. I mean, in addition to moral epistemology being being, and I I, I really misused my terms earlier, but moral epistemology being the attempt to discern what the way of being of morality is. I would also add to that, and there might be some disagreement that um, moral epistemology is also the attempt at discerning what a speaker means by employing the term moral. Yeah. Um, Moral epistemology, one of the reasons why it's so difficult and gets so confused um, so often is because I think it just covers so many things. So it's not just how do we know um, what the moral ontology is or how does a speaker, what does a speaker mean when they talk about what moral ontology is or moral content, we get to those things. Um, but it also involves you know, um, questions of just sheer agnosticism or, or can we even know um, even if there is um, such a thing as moral facts, are we even in a position to know them? Um, it's um, how well do we know them? Um, what types of tools do we have to know? So, you know, do we have something like innate moral perceptions or do we learn it from our parents and society? Or is it, um, you know, an evolutionary byproduct or is it because we're somehow, um, you know, image bearers of God or, or whatever it is? It's those questions of how we come to know those moral facts um, or if we come to know, if we can even come to know those moral facts. Um, and I think that this one's really important to grasp just because it gets conflated so often with moral ontology. So a lot of people will say things like morality is such and such because this is how we come to know it. Um, and they'll, they'll really conflate those two categories um, where, they, where they really shouldn't. So it's important to keep this one distinct and in mind. 
Um, and then it gets really, really fun and complicated when you start applying just general epistemology to moral epistemology and how do we know how we know what moral facts are and it, it just turns into a, <laughs> a whole fun discussion. <laughs> it really so, does. Yeah. Um, are we good with that one? I'm, yeah, I, I got, I'm actually taking notes in case you didn't know. <laughs> I could hear the but, clacking, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I like that, though. It's, uh, it's, uh, I have the, of course, I'll have the episode to go over again, which I will, but, um, but uh, it's always good to, to just take notes as I go. So, uh, are we going to uh, define what applied ethics and moral content is? Sure. Sure. Um, I separated them, but they are really closely related. So, um, how about, how about Nicholas? How about you just keep leading us off on all these? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So I I think that um, that applied ethics is an apposite term because it is how this ethics these ethics function in society. Am I on the right track? <laughs> You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. <laughs> Um, yeah, I th- I think applied ethics is hard without moral content. Um, okay. Yeah. So whereas whereas moral content would be um, a specific moral fact. So um, that you know, do, murder is wrong, or, or or I guess murder is immoral. We'll talk about the difference between wrong and immoral. Um, but murder is immoral. Um, applied ethics would be something like, well, how do we then? like you were saying, how do you work that in society? So um, applied ethics would be taking that, that moral fact of murder is wrong and applying it to situations like um, the uh, pro-life, pro-choice discussions, capital punishment. Um, how do we actually take those moral facts and apply them to our social contexts? Right. That's. I think I, I used ethics when I meant moral. So how does this moral content work in society as, a, as an ethical system? Yeah. Is that some some something more along the lines? Yeah, I think that would be a, a a better a better connection between the two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I'm I'm pleased with what the two of you have worked out. I think it's a good functional definition for this conversation. Good. Um, I had I I put this on the the outline, but I think I just wanted to to draw it out. Was um, a lot of times we'll use. Um, we use kind of confusing language when we talk about things. And just for our listeners, one of the reasons why we're, we're going through this so painstakingly is so that throughout the conversation, we kind of have these hooks to hang our conversation on um, because it can get so complicated when you go into moral um, discussions of moral philosophy um, is just the difference between moral values and moral duties. Um, whereas a moral value, this is where I actually, I, I even was doing it. Did you hear me catch myself when I did it? Um, is that we're so oh, used to saying, right. We're, we, we're so used to like equi- equating um, moral with right or immoral and with wrong, wrong. Yeah. Um, or or moral and good or immoral and bad. Um, so whereas good and bad can have so many meanings. So, it, you know, an action can be good um, or a TV can be good in its in its function. Um, there's a lots of non-moral uses of the word good. Um, side caveat, this is why one of the things I think plagues Sam Harris's books, I think that he... Um, he jumps back and forth between different meanings of good without really delineating between them. 
I think the um, other thing that plagues Sam Harris's book is Sam Harris, but that's a different matter altogether. <laughs> that is a very different matter. Um, but I think that I think that this type of language, I, I mean, you even heard I caught myself doing it, um, is that we're so used to equating these terms with each other, but they, in moral philosophy, they actually have very distinct, um, very distinct meanings um, that I think is important for us to, to keep separate. Right. Um, and so would that would that then uh, lead us to to just explaining moral duty and obligation? Yeah. So we might say something like um, murder. Murder is immoral. Um, yes. And that would be a moral fact. A that moral would be a, that would be a moral fact. Depending on, and we'll get into this because I I don't want to get into the defending or or rejecting certain views. Depending on your certain view, you might say. Um, murder is immoral or, or murder is um, evil or something along the lines, but that it's not wrong. You might you might not have an obligation to not murder even though it might be immoral. Um, right. So you could think of um, uh, Michael Roos has the, is rape wrong on Andromeda? Um, so he might say well, you know um, uh, rape, rape is immoral but we can imagine the species that that developed on Andromeda, where rape is the only way that they can they can procreate. So um, it actually isn't a wrong action uh, on Andromeda. Um, right. So um, I think that the the distinction between moral values and moral duties is is going to be important as we go along, because um, I think even um, certain subjectivists or or nihilist views. Well, maybe not nihilist because they deny value, but certain subjectivist views might allow for values, even though they might. Um, deny duties or vice versa they might say there's no there's no real moral values but we do have real moral duties um, so that those type of distinctions are going to be important for us to keep okay cool that sounds that sounds good to me um, all right so let's let's keep let's keep trucking along we're we're agreeing nicely um, okay <laughs> uh, objectivity so Nicholas you want to try try that one uh, sure so I I think that it's uh, it's a, a distinction between what is true and the conditions that you, you need to meet in order for that to be true. So uh, one of those conditions for it to be objective is that it has to be independent of us, right? So right. it has to be independent of what we think or or our uh, emotions, right? So I guess this is, sim- it's simpler to say, this would be what we would consider a fact, Right, right. That's, That's pretty, pretty good. good. All right then. Brent, Brent, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna write Br- that down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna quote myself. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, anything on that? Uh, nothing that's not snarky. <laughs> you can be a little snarky. It's all right. Oh, uh, I, um, I define objectivity as impossible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, tipping but no, your I mean, hand, I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, no, actually, I think NJ did a wonderful job at at defining what the term uh, semantically means. So, no, I'm yeah. I'm perfectly satisfied with that definition. Yeah, whether whether we're not here saying which ones are true, false, right, or anything yeah. like that. Just yeah. What we mean by the term, and yeah, yeah. So I definitely agree. Objectivity means that it's it's true, independent of basically us or our beliefs about it. It's it would be something like a fact. Um, all right. So the next one, how about how about we'll, we'll skip and then we'll come back to the other ones. Let's skip to subjectivism since that's usually the contrast um, with with objectivity. Um, so subjectivity. I, I would I would have to say that that is yes. Well, the exact the, the exact <laughs> exact 
opposite of objective, right? So this is uh, based on our feelings, beliefs, and desires, but that's, that's not necessarily excluding it from being true. Right. Brandon? I was simply going to say that, that on my view, subjectivism, and I might just be parroting NJ, I'm just I'm trying to add to the conversation because I've been quiet for a little while. Um, I was just going to say that subjectivism is the, uh, the, the notion that all values are predicated entirely on the individual's point of view from a specific situation in space and time and social space and time and all questions of fact value outside of that individual's specific observations are moot at that point. Okay. Um, how about, how about um, well, let's bring in contextualism at this point um, without really leaving subjectivism, if that makes sense. So, um, because I think, I, think you're, I think you're making a really good comparison between the two. Um, so contextualism, did, did you guys have any thoughts on, on contextualism? Did you find much on it? I was just going to say, I mean, just just given the nature of the conversation we're having right now and, and the ideas already inherent behind terms like objective, uh, objectivity and subjectivism as they relate to ethics, I would wager that contextualism uh, would then be the, a discussion or the discussion on that which is moral being determined entirely by the context. So to reference back to your example of the beings who procreate via rape in, uh, in Andromeda, um, contextually speaking... While rape is uh, wrong and bad and evil and immoral for us, it is good and noble and moral for the Andromeda rapoids or, or whatever their <laughs> name would wind up being. Can I just interject, though? That, to me, sounds really close to moral relativism, something that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. So, um, how do how I... Do this clearly. Um, so subjectivism is. See what you guys think about this one. So subjectivism, um, for for how I understand it, is um, basically what we've said that um, it is. It's based on the subject or subjects' um, beliefs or or views or preferences or um, desires or something something like that that we've kind of all gone into. Um, where whereas. Um, contextualism actually can be either subjective or objective um so there you can be a contextualist subjectivist which is basically relativism you're right um or you can be a contextualist objectivist which basically means um that it is a fact about a um about a certain context so it it's not necessarily the case that um, so, so you could think of the, you know, the rapoids and on Andromeda, whereas a subjectivist would say, well, it, it's subjectively good for them because they have their preferences, desires. That, that's what they're calling in their context. They're calling it good. Or you can say, as an objectivist sense, well, it is a fact about that state of affairs, independent of what their beliefs are, that that action is is good or right or whatever it is. It contextualism can actually kind of sit in both camps either way um does that make that kind of make sense it it does i mean it's a it's an extremely fine distinction um it really is yeah extreme i mean i would almost chalk it up to pure semantics but i mean well, I, let me, I, let, me I, give I, you, I, let me give you let me give you an example so that's not so that's not so abstract so we we might be able to say something like um a husband's um sexual love for his wife um, is a good thing, 
Um, but we could say that in certain contexts, it might actually end up being a, uh, um, he might have a moral obligation not to express that sexual love. So um, maybe it's in a time that his wife doesn't want to express that sexual love. Um, or it might be during a time where it's medically hazardous. So even though the general objective principle is it's a moral good for a husband to sexually love his wife, you might have specific contexts where it actually can become um, um, an objectively immoral action um, where he has a duty not to show his love sexually. Okay, yeah, um, that's, so, a, that's, a, that's a much clearer illustration of the distinction. Yeah, so, so that, that's kind of the objective side of it where it can still be entirely objective, um, not based on whether the husband or the wife's um, beliefs or preferences or anything like that, um, but still be tied down to that context. Um, um, I think we only have two, or one more, um, which is absolutism. Um, right. And the reason I brought this one in is specifically because it gets so confused with objectivism. Um, a lot of people basically equate the two. So absolutism. Want to try your hand at that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's, it's obvious in, in its, uh, in, in that it's, um, in complete contrast to relativism, right? So that it's uh, a universal, I guess, uh, distinction that it's it's absolutely true or absolutely false, no matter what context, no matter whether it's being objective or subjective. Uh, or wait, would that? I think that that would force it to be objective, right? But that it would, um, but that it would be. Um, a universal fact that can be applied to any situation. It's very Kantian. I mean, I, it is, I, 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 it is uh, going back t to the more uh, pragmatic example you gave, if it is always right, I'll use that here with its moral connotation, if it's always right for a husband to sexually love his wife, then it is without regards to whether or not she wants that love at that point in time or whether or not it's medically hazardous it's just always right or if it's always yeah, yeah. right to tell the truth then it doesn't matter if the family of Jews is hiding in your attic and the Nazi officers pounding on the door it is always right to tell the truth right. exactly exactly and I and I think that one of the reasons why that this so many people confuse this a lot is because a lot of times people argue for objectivism using very absolutism language um, because they'll use obvious examples. So they'll use something like murder. Um, so whereas I think absolutism is kind of a subset of objectivity where there's there are certain morals that are absolute, it doesn't necessarily mean that all objective morals are absolute. Um, so whereas I might say it's always wrong to unjustly take innocent human life. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's always absolutely wrong to lie, we're, like in the case of the, the Jewish family hiding up in, in the attic, um, where I think you actually do have a moral obligation to, to lie to the Nazi officer at your door. Um, so, uh, But a lot of people, when, when we have these conversations, will confuse and think that just because someone is arguing for objective morality that they're arguing for absolutism and that's when you get those kind of like well then are you saying you shouldn't lie to the the nazi ss officer to you know because you don't want to lie all that kind of stuff so um it, right. it does get pretty confusing sometimes can i just briefly interject and say that um 
because the number one uh, philosophical adversary I, I've set myself up against these days actually isn't isn't Christianity. It's uh, Ayn Randian objectivism. I keep cringing every time I hear the word objective. It's really just conditioned <laughs> me to just you know run the other way or go go into right. fight mode in fight or flight mode. I just go into instant fight. Oh, objectivists are here. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Well, we could certainly get into that next time, I think. I think, have a... <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, I think, um, are we happy with that? I believe that that was the last uh, um, point yeah. on the list. Yes? Yeah, I I'm think so. I'm happy with that. I think that's it. Can we argue now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw well, it out. It has, it has been know. an hour, so... Yeah. Um, I understand. So, what did you guys want to do? Did you want to save it, uh, arguing until next time? Sure. Uh, Although yeah, I, d- yeah, sure. I did have one thing I wanted to tell uh, uh, you both. I finally came up with a, a working name for what I am. Go on. <laughs> I am a innate moral ontological nihilist, whilst still being a subjective slash semantic moral realist. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on a bumper so, sticker. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a magnet on the fridge right now. But you're right. all right very good so um i'll just finish with some with some closing comments um i Um, think that sorry go on let's make a comment that people um should submit any um questions because we will be having a we'll have in the question answer one at the very end oh yes of course so So, sorry sorry, go on brandon oh no i was just agreeing with tyler that's a really good idea yeah so we we have four episodes set up that we're going to uh, hash out a lot of these positions um and so uh the fifth episode will probably be a a uh a collection of all the comments and um questions that we get in the meantime so um for now you can stay tuned to the skeptics testament podcast facebook page or the freed thinker podcast facebook page both of which brandon is a part of uh, as as well as tyler and myself um you can also check out tyler's website which is uh logical-theism.blogspot.com you can also get this episode or you'll be able to find it on itunes in either uh the freed thinker podcast itunes feed or the skeptics testaments itunes feed so um feel feel free to download from both we also will um will be available to discuss anything on on both facebook pages uh brandon is is a common contributor as well so um apart from that did either of you two gentlemen have anything to add um no i think it was a it was a pretty good episode um yeah yes i I just wanted to say uh I just wanted to thank you both for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm I'm very honored, and I'm having a blast doing it. Oh, same. I, that goes for me as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely for me as well. Great. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you again. Thank you very much. And uh, until next time, take care out there.